Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Let's then get to Genesis 26. I'm going to be talking about Israel today since we're looking at the Abrahamic Covenant again. And we're looking about ensuring the participation, participation in God's agenda and the blessings that accompany it. And what you're going to be looking at is this baton of faith being passed on, obviously from Abraham to Isaac. But then there's, there's two things going on in the text. There's the blessing aspect that Abraham is passing on because of the man he was, and God is blessing Isaac because of Abraham's uh, faithfulness and dedication. And then there's a negative aspect that Abraham's passing on, which you're going to see illustrated in the text, that uh, he passes on a negative trait to Isaac, and Isaac ends up almost doing the same thing. And, And here's the bottom line, what you're learning from this text. The, the impact of a parent on their children is immense. It's bigger than what most people think. And, and what we pass on positively or negatively to our kids um, ensures whether or not they're going to be blessed of God or cursed of God, so to speak. Blessing and cursing means, uh, you know, uh, in, our, in our terminology, in, in the new covenant, would be called the abundant life of whether or not we pass on the abundant life. If our kids and our grandkids are living the abundant life or if they're living away from the Lord and living in a cursed life in the fact that uh, their life is chaotic, their life is crazy, their life is all messed up because they're not following Christ. And it starts with us. It starts with the parents. And you're going to see Abraham passing on good traits and passing on bad traits and how strong those traits are and it's very difficult to, 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 um, to uh, especially the negative ones, to un, un, uh, unbreak yourself from that. You have to see that cycle. So we're going to talk about that, and, and we're going to talk about society and talk about Israel as we go through this. So here's the problem. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Now, let's just stop right there. That's a red flag, And the famine is a repeat, obviously, in Isaac's life that happened in Abraham's life. But remember, the famine in Abraham's life cost Abraham a major problem, didn't it? Because he freaked out, he catastrophized, and he left the land and went into Egypt. And as he went into Egypt, the whole debacle there, lying about Sarah, his wife, and then she almost got uh, taken and the line and the, the Abrahamic covenant is threatened at that point in time. Then the jig is up. Oh, he's lying. And then on his way back, he takes a concubine from Egypt that he got from the Pharaoh. And her name was Hagar. And then he, he again, panics again because he can't have a child. And so he thinks, well, maybe this is what the Lord meant. I'll go to Hagar, have a baby through her. And uh, that will be the promised child. And that ended up with Ishmael. Remember that. And Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael and Esau are the Arabs today, which is causing the problem in the Middle East right now with Israel. Okay? So it was a big mistake. It was a cataclysmic mistake where Abraham panicked because of a famine. And instead of staying in the land where he should have, he went into Egypt. Okay? So here's, here's what happens. The same thing happens to Isaac now. 
a famine hits the land, okay? And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Okay, so what's going on here? He's panicking, just like his father did, okay? He's doing the same thing. And what's going on here, Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Okay, Abimelech just means, it's like Pharaoh or Caesar. It's not a name. So he goes to this king that's in Gerar, where the Philistines will be one day. And what's happening is a proleptic. Moses is, is putting in the word Philistines, even though in Abraham's time, the Philistines didn't exist in the area. But he's, it's like Moses saying this, hey, you know where the Philistines are living right now? That's where he went. Oh, yeah, right there by Gaza. You see where Gerar is? It's by the Gaza Strip. For some reason, this area seems to be problematic for Israel, even to the day, okay? So he leaves in a panic. Now, already I, we already know from the text, if you keep reading what's in Isaac's mind, he's gonna go into Egypt, and God stops him from going into Egypt. So we already know from God that in Isaac's mind, he, this was his first stop to go to Gerar, and then he was going to head into Egypt just like his father d mistakenly did, okay? So do you see the habitual pattern now in the family being passed on? Whether Isaac is conscious or not of it, he sees it, and he's doing the same thing. He's catastrophizing. So here's the principle, we may have inherited fear patterns from our family or maybe from our experiences, but it will potentially derail us like it de derailed Abraham. It got so bad they had to kick Ishmael out of the camp, remember? Because he was persecuting Isaac. And so this was a derailment, okay? So first of all, you look in your family and you have to identify fear patterns. Am I doing what my family does? I'll give you a real obvious one. Uh, you know, you can see what Abraham's doing. But uh, finances typically is a fear pattern. People are afraid of losing their finances. And the way the world's becoming, everybody's finances are at risk, okay? It just is what it is. They're going to a digital currency at some point in time. And all of our finances is at risk, okay? So you have a decision to make. Am I going to panic? Am I going to catastrophize? Am I going to go crazy and freak out? Or am I going to trust the Lord for his provision? So if you, if you freak out and catastrophize, you will look for a way of escape. You will look for worldly safety, worldly security in that. Now, if you've been taught by your family that money is security, you will follow that family pattern if you don't break it. And you will run to money, run to where uh, you can have the idol of money secure and thinking that you're safe. But God is going to say, no, 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 I'm your only safety. I'm your only security. Even if you lose it all, I will still provide for you. And that's the decision all of us have to make because the economy is going to get worse. It's getting really bad. You saw the downgrade of the banks. And, and then when they switch to a digital currency, things are going to get really rough. No doubt about that. And inflation is going to keep skyrocketing. But what are you afraid of? Is your fear coming from your family? Is that's the way, is that what your family feared? And is that the way they acted when they feared it? Whether it's money, whether it's whatever. Okay, you have to think about those patterns. Because right now, you can see the pattern passing on to, to Isaac. And he's not even, he's just automatic. He's just doing it. This is what family does. Very, very careful about this. So, what about this fear? 
What's going on with Abraham? What's going on with Isaac? What's going on and with us when we fear things? Fear is driven typically from something we perceive in the future that's gonna hit us and we look to our own resources rather than God's and we think, I can't overcome this. I will not be able to make it through this. And so we panic, we catastrophize, we get afraid, and then we look for some type of worldly security or some type of escape. That's what happens. That's what's going on here. But that's the basis of fear. So what the devil will do is either make something real or make you perceive something is a threat to you that you can't handle and makes you look at your own resources. But what's the problem with that? When you look to your own resources, you're going to freak out because most of the things that are coming our way are bigger than us. We don't have the resources to deal with that. But what are we supposed to do? You look to God's resources. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to trust in God's provision. Now, yeah, man, if I lose my money, then I know God will provide for me. I know God will protect me or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to go begging for bread or whatever. And, and that's how you offset that fear. So Satan is playing a game with everybody. He wants us to be afraid. 365 times in Scripture, it says, do not fear. Do not fear. But the only way you can combat that fear is knowing the truth, okay? So you, what you have to do application-wise is you have to take responsibility to, conf to confront the threat biblically. So I see the threat or I perceive of a threat. What's the answer biblically that God gives for that threat? That's what you have to know. So let me, let me give you an example. What I do in counseling, I, I, and when people come to me and they're afraid, afraid for their marriage, afraid for their life, afraid for their kids, afraid for whatever, I typically go through the 10 Ps with them. And, and basically what I've done is codify basic, uh, basic things that God provides. Okay, and I put them in Ps so I can remember them pretty easy. But when you look at this, this is what the scripture says that God will give you. Okay, and you gotta know where all these promises go. So for instance, let's just take number one. If I'm panicked and freaking out that they're gonna go to a digital currency and I'm gonna lose 40% of my value in my money, the answer to that is God's provision. So I'm gonna to go to the scriptures and find the scriptures that talk about God providing for me, that God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ. My needs. So there's one passage. The other passage is I won't go begging for bread. Okay, so there's the provision. Or what about uh, 2024? Do you understand that 2024 is gonna be a crazy chaotic year in America? because it's an election year. And it's gonna, you're gonna see things that you have never thought you have seen, but it's gonna happen, and you're, gonna, you're, you're not gonna believe what you're seeing, okay? There's crazy stuff's gonna happen. Uh, they're gonna sign up with the World Health Organization, and, and they're gonna make the shot, call the shots on us health-wise, a possible digital currency by 2024, 2025. Uh, there's a lot of things that are gonna happen, possibly, okay? Well, how do I navigate that? Well, you can freak out, catastrophize, go into a corner, corner and suck your thumb and cry or whatever. Or you can trust like number nine and number 10. God will guide us and God will provide wisdom if we ask for it. So God knows how to navigate through these rough waters. He knows how to get us through things. So my thing is I can't trust my own insight, my own IQ. I'm gonna have to trust his wisdom and his lead and how to navigate through the crazy times. And can he do this? Yes. 
But as you can see, you have to confront what you fear with the truth that God provides. And when you do that, it dispels the fear. It's not that you're not concerned. It's not that you're not paying attention to what's happening, but you're not filled with anxiety and stress and freaking out and depression or whatever and woe is me. The truth sets you free from fear. And Satan wants to bind you in it. Now, here's the thing. Here's what we already know. The Lord appeared to him. So this is an appearance of theophany and said, do not go down to Egypt. Now, how do you know he's go- he was gonna go into Egypt? Because the Lord said, you're gonna go into Egypt, aren't you? Yeah, if Gerar is your first stop and you were heading down to Egypt just like your father. I'm gonna stop you, don't go. So he says, live in the land in which I tell you, dwell in this land. Now, this is interesting. He's in the middle of a famine, and God is telling him, stay in the land in the middle of a famine. Don't move. That is the opposite of what Satan will tell you. Satan will tell you to run. Satan will tell you, get out of there. And God is saying to all of us, you stay in the storm because that's where I'm at. Your safest place is with me in the middle of the storm. It's the same thing that Peter had to learn. Do you remember that? Storm was on the Sea of Galilee. Disciples are panicked, and they see the Lord walking on water towards them. And Peter says, bid me to come out to you. And the Lord says, come, Peter. And you know the story. Peter starts walking on water towards the Lord. But what got his attention? The wind and the waves got his focus off of Jesus. As long as he looked at Jesus, he walked on water. But the minute he looked at the wind and the waves, he starts sinking. And he says, save me, Lord. What is, what, is, what is that picture of? It's a picture of us. That the devil wants you to focus on the circumstances around you. The chaotic circumstances of the, the wind and the waves and the sea. Instead of looking to Jesus. And if you focus in on your circumstances, you will panic. You will collapse. You will realize you don't have the resources for the storm that's around you. But as long as you focus on the Lord, you'll walk on water. But what does what focusing on the Lord mean? It means focusing on the word of God. It means knowing the word of God to combat the circumstances, to live above your circumstances. And so the safest place when you're in that situation is in, with Jesus in the middle of the storm. Not out of the storm, but in the storm with the Lord. That's where the safest place is to, to be. And so what, do you want, what does he tell Isaac? Stay in the famine. I'll take care of you. Don't do what your dad did. Your dad made a huge mistake. And remember, Isaac, the mistake actually persecuted you when you were three and four years old. Ooh, yeah. So stay in the land. Why? Because this is the land he gave them. This is the land that he gave Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is Israel's land today. It's no one else's. And everyone else tries to take this land from them. So let's just talk about Israel just a bit. Since we're talking about the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant is, is mentioned here in the same text. And it's reiterated with Isaac. And he goes, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give you all these lands. Who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The Arabs? No. The Jews, okay? 
and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. So God swore by himself to Abraham and his descendants, I'm going to do this. Regardless of what, how you behave, I will do this. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, referring to the Jews. I will give to your descendants, the Jews, all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What does that refer to? How are all the goyim, how are all the Gentiles going to be blessed by the seed that comes from Abraham? The Jews produced the Jewish Messiah, and it's through Jesus that the blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant blesses the Gentiles because of salvation. So there it is, the whole Abrahamic covenant reiterated to the Jews. Abraham, Isaac now, and then it'll be reiterated to Jacob, and then it'll be reiterated to the Jews. So what you're looking at here, let's take a step back and understand what's going on. The fight in the Middle East or in the Near East with Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, all these countries is satanic opposition to this Abrahamic covenant. That's what it is. This is why, as you're seeing as our study in the patriarchs, why the Abrahamic covenant is so significant and why it answers the question of why so many people want their land. Once God said it's yours, everybody wants it. And so that's what the fight is over. So what Satan is doing is opposing this Abrahamic covenant as much as and hard as he can by trying to wipe out the Jews and get them off their land. That's why they shout, to the river, to the sea. They're shouting that because they want to exterminate Jews. Okay? The point then is, what's happening right now is God is bringing Israel back to the land for a work that he will do in her. And that work is to bring her to faith in the Messiah through the tribulation period, through Jacob's trouble. That's what he's doing. And so you are witnessing God recalling his people back home, which is predicted in Scripture. Started, started in the late 1800s, Israel becomes a nation in 1948, and even today, many Jews are going back into the land, and they're realizing this is the only safe spot in the world that will protect them. And yes, that's true. Because everything's becoming anti-Semitic. Because Satan is opposing this very thing. Okay? So it answers the question. So when Israel starts this war, or is in this war with Hamas, it doesn't end there. It's going to go on to Hezbollah. It's going to go on to other issues. Iran, Syria, all of them. It's all going to come to a head. Okay? So we have to realize that. So here's what you have to understand. I'm going to show you a video and I want you to see that, no, that what God is doing is bringing them back to the land, and nothing's going to stop this. It doesn't matter what kind of opposition, it doesn't matter what Joe Biden does, it doesn't matter. God will get his plan accomplished, and he's doing it right now. Here's a video I got from Tom Hughes. We played it at the, the Prophecy Conference last weekend. I think it, was, it hit the nail on the head. Oh, daughters of Zion. Oh, Abraham's sons. Hear the words of your father Hear his promise of love I will make you a blessing So count the stars if you can You will be a great nation 
That's why we support the Abrahamic covenant. It's still going on and God's doing his work. He's not done yet. So let's talk a little bit about Israel as a, as a side note since we're on the topic of the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant says, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Right now, Joe Biden is putting himself in the, the crosshairs of the Abrahamic covenant because he is dictating to Israel how to fight this war because he's holding Benjamin Netanyahu hostage, so to speak, by telling him, if you don't do what we do, tell you to do, we're not gonna supply you the bunker buster and the, 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 the weapons that you need to defend yourself. So Israel is in a difficult situation with the United States because you, Joe Biden's administration wants a two-state solution and wants to appease Iran and wants to appease the Gen Zs and the millennials who are pro-Hamas because this is an election year. So the Biden administration is making themselves into a curse for the United States because of what they're trying to do. Look, all they need to do is Supply Israel and let Israel fight, and they will take care of business. But this whole ceasefire stuff, the switching of hostages and stuff like that, wait a second. It's not a one-to-one -one hostage swap, uh, swap. These are innocent civilians, and they want Israel, and Israel gave up 150 terrorists in jail for the swap. That's not a swap. That, we're talking about innocent civilians, and we didn't even, Israel didn't get all the civilians. Uh, they, uh, uh, they got like 40, and then I think yeah, this morning they got 17 or something like that. I can't remember what it was. It's minuscule. And then we, they allowed 150 terrorists to go back into Hamas. What? Who does that? Oh, not, it's not Israel's fault. It's America telling Israel to do that. That's who's dealing them. Oh. And so with this Palestinian woman, the, uh, and they swap for the hostages, instantly they, they start flying Hamas flags. Oh, the, the false narrative that there's a difference between Hamas and the innocent civilians is, is crumbling right in front of everybody because once they let them out, they're flying the Hamas flag. And oh, by the way, thank you, the Arab uh, uh, world of research and development for your recent poll because you're telling all the world what the Palestinians believe. This is wonderful. If you want to know the truth, they put their own poll out and they polled Palestinians. Ask them, what do you think about the, the, the attack on Israel of innocent civilians? 89% say the attacks were carried out in response to contemporary and historic oppression. So they were justified according to 89% of the Palestinians, okay? Whether it's in the West Bank or Gaza. 98% of the respondents reported feeling prouder of their identity as Palestinians now. No shame whatsoever by gutting babies, putting them in ovens or anything like that, raping women. No, 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 no shame. I felt prouder as a Palestinian. Huh. 59% of the Palestinians strongly supported the October 7th attacks carried out by Hamas-led factions. 16% supported to some extent, and 11% apparently didn't know what to do. Apparently, 11, I, I, could care, I could care less what goes anyway. Wait a second. That means three-fourths of the Palestinians supported the attacks on Israel on civilians. And, and then add the 11, you got 86% that basically, okay, it's fine with me, no problem, nothing opposed to it. What? Does that not tell you the mindset of what's going on in the Palestinian territories? This is a death cult, plain and simple. 
And this is why there cannot be any ceasefire. Israel has to go in there and wipe them out. Wipe Hamas out completely off the planet. Now, when asking the Palestinians, who do you look up to? Who helped you in this whole thing? Who's really uh, on your side? Look who they targeted and said who is positively appraised for their actors. Al-Qassam Brigades. Oh, thank you, a terrorist organization. Islamic Jihad, thank you very much. A second terrorist organization. Al-Aqsa Brigades, another terrorist organization. Hamas, yes, of course. Arab media, of course. And Hezbollah. Look where Israel and America is on that list. Very bottom. You see that? Do you understand, they not only hate Israel, they hate you and I. We're the big Satan, they're just the small Satan. That's who they support. Don't let any of the media tell you anything. And this is the Arabs' own research. This is their own research. I wonder if this will be on any news site in America. CNN, MSLSD, are they going to play it? No, I don't think so. And then within 15 minutes, Hamas violated the ceasefire and shot rockets out. Thank you very much. What? That's why you don't do a deal with the devil. And why is Hamas wanting this? Well, number one, to recover and regroup the ceasefire and to create victim status and manipulate the world opinion against Israel. Oh, look how, look how they did it. They slaughtered 1,200 people, have 240 hostages, and yet the world is sympathizing with Hamas. How, how does that happen? Unbelievable. Now, thank God, there are some Israeli hostages that got out. Now, I'm going to show you some clips of that. We celebrate that. But at the same time, it's costing Israel big time for this because they just allowed 150 terrorists to, get, to run loose. Here's them being released right now. These are Israeli hostages being allowed out. Thank God. Coming back into uh, Israel's territory. So thank God we're celebrating that. Amen. Amen. But it's not all of them. There's more. So here's some pictures of, of some kids that were just kidnapped by Hamas, right? This is a mom and a child that were kidnapped. Now they're returned, thank God. But again, Hamas killed children like this, right? And here's Yafar Adar. She was 85 years old. You probably saw her. I showed videos, actually, of her being driven around in this golf cart by Hamas, just mocking Israel. She survived, believe it or not, thank God. And she was able to get out of there. And here are some more kids that were stolen, returned to their parents. Thank God for that. Here's a, 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 a lady and, and some other folks that were released, some elderly people that were released back. Thank God. Uh, again, this is the, the family that received their two daughters back. Here's a nine-year-old boy that they received back and, and a little girl. This is what Hamas did, Right? And you can see their families being reunited, which is phenomenal. It's great. We're celebrating that. Here's that little nine-year-old boy re being reunited with his family. Thank you. 
And then this is the family being reunited with their two daughters that were stolen, kidnapped. So we celebrate that, but that's who Hamas went after. Innocent civilians, children, elderly women. They didn't take on the IDF. They took on children. Thank God for that, but we need more come, to come back. Now, here's another, here's a positive thing. Now, we see a negative being repeated in Isaac's life. He almost went back into Egypt and God stopped him. Don't do that. Don't do the same mistake as your father did. Stay there. Stay in the storm. I'm with you. Now, here's a, here's a positive that's been then, uh, uh, given to Isaac. He says, because Abraham obeyed. And why is he saying because? Because he says, I will bless you because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. This is all covenantal language of the Abrahamic covenant. Now again, let me, let me parse this out. What he is saying is, look, part of the Abrahamic covenant is unilateral. God's gonna make good on it no matter what the behavior is of Israel, okay? Uh, they're always gonna have the land. It's an eternal possession. Uh, always gonna have descendant. They're gonna have a, a, a descendant that sits on David's throne forever, that being the Messiah. And those are guarantees no matter what happens, it will happen. Then within the covenant, there are aspects of it that you can receive personal blessing or personal cursing based on obedience and disobedience, okay? And that's what he's talking about with Abraham being obeyed his voice, kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws, how do I relate to this? Well, it's simple. It's like this. You and I are part of the new covenant. This is the blessing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant, and the new covenant was made in Messiah's blood, okay? You are part of the new covenant. It's a unilateral covenant, which means that you're born again, you get the Holy Spirit, you're gonna be adopted, you're gonna be glorified one day and receive a new body. Those are guarantees. No matter what your behavior is as a believer, these are guarantees. But then in the new covenant, on my personal level, on my sanctification level, I have the, deci the decision to make of whether I'm going to live in a blessed state or in a cursed state. And cursed means punishment, that because of my bad behavior or sin, I can be punished even though I'm still a believer. I can get out of fellowship with the Lord and live stupid and not receive the abundant life and the blessed life. Or I can obey and receive blessing, okay? This is what, what he's saying about Abraham, that Abraham on a personal level is living this abundant life, and because he's living this abundant life, um, it allows God to bless the second generation, okay? How does that work? Well, it's real simple. Look at America. We are living in a blessed country because of our founding fathers who set the whole thing up based on Judeo-Christian values. We reap the reward of what they set in the past. Now, is that coming to an end? I don't know. The way people act, they don't like want the freedom anymore, right? They don't want what our founding fathers gave. But you understand we're living in a blessed state because of what previous generations did. Everyone can uh, understand that. That's how God's blessing works. And therefore, it's incumbent upon us right now 
to live in such a way that keeps, that obeys the voice of God, keeps the charge, keeps the commandments, keeps the statutes, in order to live the abundant life, to pass that on to our kids and then our grandkids. It's incumbent upon us. To the degree in which any particular generation does that will be the degree in which the following generation is blessed or cursed. Okay, that's how it works. Now again, it's not that people are not responsible for themselves, they are. But there are blessings you can pass on to your kids and grandkids, obviously, because of you living a proper life. Now, let's look at this real quick from a, from a data standpoint in America. The opposite is actually happening in Israel, by the way, and the reverse is happening here in America. Silent, let's start with a silent generation. The silent generation is the World War II generation that went through the Depression and World War II, okay? What the, this is uh, from Harvard University, the Cooperative Election Survey. Based on that survey, the silent generation had about 49% of its population that considered itself born-again Protestants, okay? Bible believers. Um, look and think about what America was like in the 40s and 50s when half of the population claimed to be Christian, okay? That's, that's Americana, which a lot of people reminisce, reminisce about, the good times. That's 50% of the population. Now, we go to the baby boomers. Baby boomers start declining, 42%, okay? Then you move to my generation, Generation X. Generation X goes down to 33%. Then the millennials, 26 Gen Z, 20%. And we don't have the data on Generation Alpha right now. We just don't know. They're too young right now to know, to do any polling or data. But what is it showing you? Some, somebody's not doing their job. Someone's not doing their job. Now, look, I understand, and I blame you know, the, the, the environment that we're in. You blame the politicians, the schools, media, Hollywood, the music industry. All these other factors are coming to bear in and influencing the younger generations away from the Lord. No doubt about that. But you understand what the principle here is, the most powerful indicator of whether or not the next generation follows in their parents' footsteps is the parents' It is the most powerful thing. As you can see with Isaac, he actually duplicates a negative thing that his dad did by going into Egypt. He was going to go in there as well. It's powerful. It, uh, the family of origin is that powerful that if the family of origin is right, it can overcome the public schools. It can overcome the colleges and universities and the crazy society we live in. But if the parents won't do it, there's the stats. Right? That's what starts happening. Somebody is not doing their job. Now, let me tell you something about the stats. What we find out about the millennials raising kids is different than even Gen X. The millennials typically do not think it's important to take their kids to church. They do not think it's important to take their kids to Sunday school and learn about God. I have no idea why. But for them, it's just not important. That's why their attendance across the board in the nation stinks. They rarely come to church. They don't think it's necessary. They can YouTube it in their minds. But they don't understand that that's not how God set things up. 
He set it up to people come together and actually serve. Millennials don't serve typically. They take. Okay? Their mindset is totally different. And if you're a millennial, then you're the exception. But in general, we already know how the millennials think spiritually. They don't think the same way as you and I do. They don't see church as important. They don't see Sunday school as important. They don't see Bible studies as important. They can just TikTok it. That's what they do. They learn everything on social media. They don't have regular news groups that they listen to, legitimate news groups. They get their information from TikTok, Instagram, social media. And that's a problem because it's all propaganda on those social media sites. So we're watching a pattern happen. And here's the principle. God blesses the following generation because of the biblical moral values of the previous generation. So it's declining, as you can see. For this pattern to continue, the current generation has to continue in them to receive the blessings and ensure the next generation's blessings that will occur. So what's happening right now? As you see it go up, and we don't know where Generation Alpha is, but Generation Z and the millennials, here's what we understand. What's taking the place of Christianity in America? It's called neo-paganism. That's what's taking over. And their political ideologies are on the level of socialism, Marxism, and communism. So you have this mixture of political Marxism or communism with neo-paganism. That's where the transgender stuff comes from. That's neo-paganism. That comes straight from ancient paganism. That's what's actually taking over in America. Because parents are not doing their job. You can blame the millennials and Generation Alpha all you want. But someone started this. Someone didn't do their job. And I can tell you, a lot of the Gen X, my generation, took their hands off the wheel. They just took their hands off the wheel. And they said, you know what, I'll just let my kids make their own decisions for themselves. And, and the millennials do the same thing. I'll just let my kids make their own decisions. If they want to be Buddhist, what, who am I to say anything? Excuse me. You have a responsibility to raise the children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You keeping them from Christ is, is, is a violation of, pas- of that passage. You don't get to take your hands off the wheel. That's what the culture did. And so guess what? The Christian parents in around the nation let the hands off the wheel. Well, I'll let my kid decide. And guess who taught their kid? The public schools. So we have a generation taught by, by I don't know what you want to call them, ideologues, uh, uh, um, brainwashers, whatever you want to call them, who have taught our kids And now we have on our hands kids that are into critical race theory, gender benders, all kinds of stuff, socialist Marxists, and we're shocked. I don't know how my kid didn't look like this. How did that happen? Because you took your hands off the wheel and you gave them to the wolves and they had no, no model in front of them for you, from you. That's how we lost it. And again, what can we do? Well, I don't know if I can stop the trend, but I can make sure... In my family, that ain't going to happen. I can make sure I don't take my hands off the wheel and my kids and my grandkids, right? I can make sure that, and you can too. So that's, what, that's the lesson. Don't be like the other people. You have to keep your hands on the wheel. And here's, let me, let me give you an admonition of what we're dealing with. We are not just dealing with people who exaggerate the truth. We are not just dealing with someone that is... That, is, is, has partial truth or is trying, is, has the same goals in mind as you and I do, we are dealing with nefarious people that are inverting the truth 
and actually oppose the truth and hate the truth and, and speak the lies as easy as it is for you and I to breathe. These people are, are demonically inspired, demonically oppressed. We're dealing with a whole different ball game. A whole di- you have to understand, things have changed. It's not a Republican, Democrat thing. It's good versus evil now. That's what's happening. And the evil people is like you've never dealt with before. They're crazy, crazy evil. And they oppose you and I, and they will punish you and I for telling the truth. So look at this. Ask yourself, is this going to bring blessing or curse on America? Joe Biden at the Thanksgiving proclamation, not every president does this, he just, just snubbed God by taking the almighty God out of it. Wow. Obama did this, and I expect Obama to do that, but this is O'Biden administration, so he's going to continue to follow in the footsteps of Obama, and he, he totally removed this from Thanksgiving. Excuse me, why are you celebrating Thanksgiving, you fool? Thanksgiving was created to give thanks to God. It wasn't just a, a, just, uh, oh, just, I want to be thankful. To who? To God, you fool. And you took him right out. Now you think, well, Brandon, you know, uh, it's not as bad as you think. Brandon, you're, this is hyperbole. You're, 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 you're just doing this as a shock value. Oh, really? So the English teachers decided to have a convention right before Thanksgiving. And, 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 and basically, they're going to talk about how they're going to teach our kids English. And maybe they had a symposium on how to teach Shakespeare or how to teach, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the Iliad or Homer's Odyssey or anything. Maybe they were talking about this is how you engage the kids when you teach uh, English or how to, how to write a paragraph and how to write a sentence structure. And that's what you would think a, a, a public school English convention would be about, right? Here's what it was about. Contempt for American culture. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Climate justice, white supremacy. Critical race theory, cultural Marxism, LGBT, gender, intersectionality, sexual explicit content being put back into the classroom, decolonization, grading to promote equity, student-led grading. I would have liked that in high school, student-led grading. Student-led grading? Oh, yeah, and oh, by the way, highlighting Palestinian joy. What? Through prose and poetry. I wonder how those, those poets uh, from the Palestine... Palestinian area wrote Muslim slash Arab workshops, but no Christian workshops, no Christian themed literature whatsoever. One lecture was about parents as partners or the problem. Social emotional learning called SEL, which is basically therapy as education. This is what the English teachers went to talk about. This is what you're up against. This is a threat to you. This is a threat to your kids and your grandkids. They mean business. So if you decide to take your hands off the wheel, welcome to that world. Don't be surprised if your kid comes out of the English department, a cultural Marxist, LGBT, gender, intersectionality, whatever. Don't be surprised. This is what you're up against. Look at the Daily Wire had this this, uh, article. Congratulations, America. You've raised a generation of terrorist sympathizers. That's what the colleges have all turned out. 51% of Gen Z say that the brutal killing of innocent Israelis was justified because of the Palestinian grievances. 
what? What? Yeah. Congratulations, America. And then Biden, again, uh, again, go back to him. He's getting pressured from pro-Hamas support. And we know there's pro-Hamas supporters in the, in the White House. We know they're in the State Department. We know they're all in there because they were there with the Muslim Brotherhood under Obama. So they're still there. The swamp is still there. And they're putting pressure on Biden because they want Biden to, to, to back off on supporting Israel. They want a two-state solution, support Iran, and even support the Muslim Brotherhood and whatnot. Okay, so he's getting pressure. But guess where a lot of the pressure's coming from? Gen Z's and millennials who cannot differentiate between real news and fake news because they watch TikTok and Instagram too much. They don't know what the real news is. They just think that the Palestinians are a, a victim group of Israel and then they're putting pressure on Joe Biden. And so Joe Biden is going into a presidential election year next year and he's trying to get them off his back. And so what he is doing right now is messing with Israel, like I said, and causing Israel to do a ceasefire when they should go in and rout Hamas completely. Do you understand what's happening? How did we get Gen Zs and millennials supporting terrorists? How did that? Because someone took their hands off the wheel. It comes back to their parents. How were these kids raised? Okay? I get it, everyone has their free will, everybody's responsible, and you can have a cane on your hand. But I cannot admit, you cannot get away from the principle of what you're seeing in the text, of Abraham passing on blessing and passing on cursing and Isaac repeating the same thing. You cannot get away from that. And then you watch Greta. What has Greta parent, Greta's parents taught her? Well, they've taught her to hate Jews. Because apparently she comes off the mask and she not only just misses climate uh, care, she misses anti-Zionism. Anti-Semitic. Oh, the mask is off. Thank you very much. What age is she? She's a millennial. She's Gen Z. That's what we're talking about. Somebody let, let, let the, go of the steering wheel. Watch this. High school students riot in Queens after they discovered teacher attended pro-Israel rally. Teacher forced to hide from radicalized mob of teenagers. What? In Queens? So here's the teacher on the right-hand side, stand with Israel, took a picture. So her class goes crazy against her, wants her fired, and they act like this. This is in Queens, not Saudi Arabia, not Iraq, not the Palestinian territory. These are kids in Queens. What in the world? What in the world? Ignorant. Just absolutely, because why? Where are they getting their news? Not from their parents. The parents are gone. They're getting it from TikTok and the social media and their stupid peers. Because why? There's no parent there. There's no parent saying, hey, bless God, you're wrong. You need to stop that, or I'm gonna ground you. I'm gonna take away your phone and whatever. There's no parent there. The, where are the parents? Do whatever you want, do it. And so guess who? You let that go, and the kids get trained by a, a communist China TikTok. That's what happens. So let me ask you this. We got to stop here because I'm out of time. Are we living in a state in America where we're on the path of blessing or the path of cursing? I, I think it's pretty obvious. So, hey, the society may go off the cliff, but it cannot go off the cliff with us. 
okay? You and I have to ensure that we're going to pass on the baton of faith to the next generation. And, and that the, our kids will follow in our footsteps and their kids, or for however long we're here, we have got to be the guarantee. You have to keep your hands on the wheel. And let me tell you a little, a little a side note about this. Why did so many Christians' parents lose their kids when the kids went to college, when the kids went to the society and started mixing? I'll tell you the, the biggest stat. It's not, it doesn't explain everything, but it is a big stat. It's because the parents didn't live a consistent Christian life. They said one thing and they did another. And, and so they put on their Sunday smiles, they went to church, and the rest of the week they lived just like a pagan. And do not, and that's the stat. That's the stat. And what happened is the kids saw that and they said, Mom and Dad claim to be a Christian, but they live like the world. It must not be real. That's the biggest reason kids left the faith is because they saw the hypocrisy with mom and dad. And look, hey, we're all gonna make mistakes. We're all gonna fall. We're all, that's not, it's not about being perfect. It's not about that. It's about the consistent direction of your life. Abraham wasn't, wasn't perfect. He made mistakes, yeah? But Abraham's life was consistent. He still was going in the right direction. That's all the kids need. All they need to see is, are you going in the right direction? And if you can, that means you're consistent. When, I am, when I'm at funerals, guys, and I'll, I'll, tell, I'll leave you with this. They will tell the stories about their dad or their mom, and they will highlight the things they did at the funeral. Okay? Sometimes they'll say what they said, but what sticks in the kids' minds as adults when their parent is there and being buried is the life that parent lived in front of them. Overwhelmingly, that's the majority of what I hear, is what their parents did. Not what they said, but what they did. Did their works, did their, their lifestyle match up to what they professed? If it does, the kids are right there following the parents' footsteps. They will follow right there if it's consistent. That's what we have to live up to. And guys, we have to do it because they're out there trying to take our kids away. So my question is, are you up for the task? Yes. Amen. If you are, let's fight the good fight. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn from Abraham and Isaac. This picture of blessing, a blessing of cursing, of passing things on, we want to be the kind of people that, that are able to pass on the baton of faith, that we have credibility with our own kids and grandkids, that we live consistently with you as much as possible. Give us the strength to do that, Father, so that we don't have our kids fall into the hands of the enemy. And Father, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know your son, they would come to faith in him today, understanding that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day, to give everlasting life to anyone who will believe. Bless us as we go now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at 
rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.